You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, which means Women's Wednesday. I am Taylor, and this is America's Web Radio. So this morning, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Shirley Millikins. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Taylor. How are you? I am doing well, thank you very much. Good, good, yes. Trying to get through this rain that just never seems to stop in Atlanta. <laughs> yes, it seems like it's Noah's blood. Yes, it's it definitely does. Well, uh, first, I wanted to say thank you so much for, for coming on the show today, and um, very much looking forward to hearing about your uh, migration to the States. So I um, wanted to just offer you the floor to just um, offer a little bit of background for our listeners. Thank you, Taylor. And before I begin really talking, first of all, I'm very humbled to just even talk about myself. Because if I can even reach one person and they find what I'm saying interesting and I can be authentic, then I would have fulfilled the reason for doing this interview. Absolutely. So I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk to your listeners. Yes, and we are very happy to have you on. So again, thank you very much. So, um, the story about my migration or immigration to the U.S. began a very long time ago, nearly 45 years ago. I was born in India, and I had just finished my undergraduate degree in English literature. And my brother, who is one year older than me, and my younger sister, who is seven years younger than me, all three of us were going to make a trip to the U.S. to visit my uncles. There were two uncles, two of my mom's brothers, who were living in Dallas, Texas at that point. So we came to visit them. And my aunt, my uncle's wife, had gone to SMU, Southern Methodist University, in the 60s and had graduated with two degrees, one in elementary education and one in theology. Mm -hmm. And my mom's oldest brother, Patrick Dyes, was also doing, was at the uh, Perkins School of Theology doing his Masters in Divinity. And we were sitting and talking and first of all, just coming to the U.S. was a big thing because that was our first visit and this was back in 1973. Mm-hmm. So it was exciting to be in Dallas, to be with family, to hear about their experiences And my aunt asked me, she says, what are your plans, you know, for the future? And I said, I haven't really thought about it. I've thought about doing, you know, a master's degree. And she said, would you like for us to explore the possibility of your going to Southern Methodist University 
to get your graduate degree in elementary education. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but I said the the opportunity sounds very interesting. Uh, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with the master's in elementary education, but I'm a learner and have always been a learner. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and explore that opportunity. And as it happens, I got admission, changed my tourist visa to a student visa, Mm -hmm. and went to Southern Methodist University and got my master's in elementary education. And it was interesting because as part of the master's, I had to do a semester of student teaching. And I student taught in University Park Elementary, which is part of the Highland Park School System in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I did my student teaching in third grade. Now the campus is very close to the university. So, and these are all, the, the school is located in a very upper, upper middle class to wealthy people. Okay. So the kids attending the the school were all from, you know, well-to-do families. But I had such a great experience there, and that's what turned me on to education. Mm -hmm. And after I finished my student teaching, I was able to get a job in a private school teaching fifth grade and eighth grade, and that was another great experience. And then we went from there, I went into the public school system and taught in the Dallas public schools for 10 years. So that's how my foray into elementary education started. And I have been in education now for 34 years. Wow. And retired in 2010. And I'm so grateful for all of the opportunities that I've had throughout my teaching career. That's And now phenomenal. I'm on a different path after retirement. Okay, and... You know, let me let me ask you this. So obviously, you you came to the states, um, went to Dallas, Texas, uh, to be with with your family. Now, what what were your parents' thoughts on all of this? Were they on board to have their three kids just up and relocate to a completely different country, or what were their thoughts? So, in I think not only in India, but everywhere in the world. Parents' hopes are for their kids to get a good education. Mm -hmm. And that was very primary in my parents' minds. As a matter of fact, we went, all three of us went to private Catholic schools growing up all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade. And then I even went to a private Catholic college for my undergraduate degree, and so did my sister and my brother. So our parents, and they made 
tremendous sacrifices for us to go to private school. Absolutely, I can because my only dad imagine. used to be, work for Air India, and he was posted as the airport manager for Air India in many places in the Middle East. He was in even in Tanzania, and my mom stayed with us in India, and my dad was abroad so that our education would not be interrupted. Mm-hmm. And for the summer holidays, as well as for the Christmas holidays, we would always be traveling to wherever my dad was. Okay. So growing up, I traveled. You know, my dad was in Tehran. He was in Cairo. He was in Cairo twice. He was in um, Tanzania. He was in Indonesia. And while my dad was in these places, we were able to go to these places and travel from there to, to Europe and London um, and had a great experience. So my parents were, education to them was very, very important. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that my brother and sister went back to India in 1973. Oh, wow. And I remained here to do my master's in elementary education. What made your your siblings want to go back? They had no interest in um, going to for higher studies. Okay. So are Uh, they... My brother wanted to just in India, and my sister at that point was still in high school, so she was not even in college. Oh, and so still so very it young. It was not an um, an option for her to stay on. Okay, so are they still in India to this day, or have they migrated back to the states? They have not. My sister has immigrated to the United States, and she lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. But my brother still lives in India. He has a son who is here and a son who is in India, but they travel back and forth. They are always visiting the United States. Okay. So it's always nice to have them. And then my sister and her family um, are here. All Her kids are here. So um, we get together. Good. So it's nice to have family here as well as in India. Yes, and that makes for some fun family trips. Either everybody's going to India or everybody's coming to the United States. (laughs) Exactly, and that's the best part because, you know, if there's a family wedding, then everybody is together, or if there's a family wedding in India, then we all go there. And it's just um, the closeness of family is always important. Yes. And we we, um, enjoy the experiences that we have of going back to India, mm-hmm. yet we, my husband and I, and my children were born here. We love this country very much. Yes, that's that's good. And 
Now, when when you talk about um, these these weddings back in India, it just made me think of um, this memory I have. So if if you don't mind uh, me sharing it, I uh, was actually part of a Hindu ceremony wedding um, when I was younger. My sister and I were both flower girls. And um, my mom was working for an OBGYN at the time who was from India, um, as was his wife. And their daughter was getting married, and they um, ended up doing a three-day ceremony. So the very first day, they had the traditional um, Hindu ceremony. So we got to do um, the henna on our hand. We got to wear the saris. And I must have been in maybe third or fourth grade at this time and it was just such a cool experience though the wedding I want to say lasted around four hours (laughs) so as as a kid (laughs) that that was that was a, a bit difficult to have to sit through the entire thing um but they ended up having um, the next day a traditional Christian ceremony because she had married um a man that had a, a Christian um, background. And then Sunday was their reception and they had a bunch of huge inflatables and made it like a huge kids day. But the adults were definitely jumping up and down in the inflatables as well. <laughs> but it was it was just such a cool experience to go from from one day to the next. And um, we are actually going to take just a quick break here, um, but everybody stay tuned. This is Taylor for Women's Wednesday on America's Web Radio. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual, family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Want to give your family, our loved one, the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. It's Taylor with Women's Wednesday on America's Web Radio. So before the break, um, we were touching on uh, my experience being in a Hindu ceremony one day and then a Christian ceremony the next. So um, as a third or fourth grader, this was um, a very incredible and and very eye-opening experience because I got to see the difference between two cultures. So, Shirley, now, obviously, you've experienced the the two different sorts of weddings, and um, I just, I think it's so cool that your family is able to to go back and forth from from the States and then back to India. It is, and my brother's son both of them, but before I go into that, let me preface it by saying that we were born Christian, Mm. and my parents and we, we belong to the Church of England, and we grew up in the church. We grew up going to church, 
I was confirmed in the Church of England, um, and throughout my life, uh, we have been church-going people. Good. But as we were talking about the wedding, so my both my nephews got married to Hindu girls, so we had the same experience that you experienced. Awesome. Because <laughs> there would be a traditional Hindu wedding, and then there, the next day there would be a wedding in the church, and we did do the henna, and we would do um, the big reception. So, yes, it is a two- to three-day event, mm-hmm. and especially if you're traveling to another place. I was born in New Delhi, and one of my nephews got married in Lucknow, which is a, a town. It's a two-hour flight from New Delhi. And we all went to that town and... Um, you know, participated in the wedding. Mm-hmm. So blending those two cultures, not cultures really, two religions, uh, it's been so rewarding for our family because as Christians, we are called to love everyone. Mm-hmm. And in the Bible, it says there's no Jew, nor Greek. We are all one in the family of God. And so... It's nice that in our family we have in children from other religions. And the other important thing that I want to bring up is that my daughter got married to a young man who was born in Iran, mm-hmm. but has lived here since he was three years old. And to have him in our life is such a blessing for us. So. I am richly blessed with enjoying all of these wonderful people in my life. That's beautiful. And that's, I mean, the the melting pot that this country is is all about. And it, it, it truly is a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that you have such a great mix in your family. That's so interesting. Um, now, touching back on on the the immigration to the states. Now, you were how old at this time? You had just finished college, so um, early twenties then. Yes. Okay. Twenty three years old. Twenty three, and gosh, at, at twenty three, I cannot even imagine just uprooting my everything that I've known, my norms, and and just planting new roots somewhere else. Now, I did sort of do that, um, moving from Michigan down to Atlanta about two years ago. Um, There were definitely more opportunities, and I flew down with two suitcases and said, this is my big shot. So, um, And I have been down here, and I love Atlanta so much. Uh, No offense to my friends and family back in Michigan, but it's a little bit warmer here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And, you know, so as you were asking me that question of how it was to uproot myself, yeah, what was the most difficult part about leaving India? You know, because my dad had been posted to different places in the Middle East, we had already been traveling abroad mm-hmm. all the time. So the United States 
was a little bit further away than the Middle East mm-hmm. and London, but it was it was not as difficult to come to the U.S. I think the difficulties were in adjusting to the college life okay. at Southern Methodist University, and I want to explain that. Because I went to an all-girls school from kindergarten through 12th grade, and it was called Convent of Jesus and Mary, and then I went to the same name college, which was also an all-girls college. I had never really had the experience of being in a co-ed setting. A little bit different, I can imagine. It was different, and I remember feeling very intimidated mm-hmm. in having men in the classroom. And the other intimidating thing was that all of the people who were with me in my program were graduate students, so most of them were already teaching. Hmm. And I had had no experience in teaching because I had just finished my undergraduate. So when we would have class discussions, I did not really have much to say because I did not have the experience that other people were bringing to our discussions about classroom discipline, Mm -hmm. about curriculum. But I still feel that it was such a great learning experience And all of my book learning really came into play when I was doing my student teaching at University Park Elementary. Good, good. Now, you you had mentioned a lot of travel um, when you were younger, and I can imagine that made things a little bit easier when you were transitioning to a new place because you had been to so many different places. So um, for me personally, um, I'm curious why um, you didn't end up in London or if London was was in the mix, just because um, personally, I did a study abroad trip during my last semester of college. Um, I did a media ethics uh, trip and for only being there two and a half weeks, London will always have a special place in my heart. We we did our classes at the University of London, and it was it was great. So uh, my question for you is: was was London even in the running for a potential place to be, or did you always have your heart set on coming to the U.S.? London was no other place was in con- consideration. Mm. to do a master's because at that point we remember we were just coming to visit the U.S. Yes. So coming to visit the U.S. and then actually staying on to do my under uh, my graduate degree was a decision that was made that summer of 1973 by my parents and you know my my agreement. Mm-hmm. you know, to go to school here. And it was an opportunity that I thought would be great because my uncle was a security officer at, on campus. Mm-hmm. And we didn't live that far away. And I'll tell you another challenge that I had was I knew how to drive in India. 
but I didn't have a car here. Mm. So, uh, the, and I was working, you know, to pay for my college degree. I was working in the graduate office, the dean's office, five days a week from 8.30 to 5, and then going to classes three nights a week from wow. 5.30 to 9.30. So I really didn't have much time to think about anything. I was <laughs> just busy <laughs> living, learning, and just living yeah. and surviving. You you definitely had a lot on your plate, so you're pretty much working a full-time job on, on top of going to school. And I can relate to that. I, I did the same thing. I went to a community college um, at first, and I was working full-time during the day, and my boss was just so great. So anytime I had class, I would leave, and then I'd come back, and I was there until the work was done. And then a couple times, I was actually um, working at a Cold Stone Creamery on um, Michigan State's campus, and I would do that mm-hmm. for fun. That was my fun outside of working at a dental lab and going to school. So not much of a social life, not much time to really think about anything else. So I can, I definitely feel you on that. (laughs) Now, when you had first arrived um, in in Dallas, um, obviously there are so many different, almost little mini cultures throughout the U.S. And, and I feel like David can, can agree that Texas has its own sort of culture. Now, what surprised you, if anything, the most um, when you first arrived? I remember this so vividly. <laughs> so my uncle and aunt had taken the three of us, my brother, sister, and I, to Dairy Queen. <laughs> Dairy Queen. <laughs> to Dairy Queen. So I I had a hamburger and french fries and a milkshake, and I remember thinking, my gosh, I've never eaten such a big hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) And the milkshake was so creamy, and the french fries were so greasy. It was just a delightful meal. And my brother and sister, of course, now in India, because of the the globalization, you get everything, and you can have hamburgers, and you can have Kentucky Fried Chicken or pizza, mm-hmm. Pizza Hut or whatever. You, you can have everything that you want. But at that point, I'd never had such a big hamburger, and that was just just a a delightful meal and very enjoyable, and. It was um, interesting because while I was doing my study, studying, and I used to work in the dean's office, the lady that I was working with, Millie Hamilton, mm-hmm. she was the secretary with um, Dr. Hoskins, and he was the dean of uh, the graduate school. And I must say, even though he has passed, I must give a shout-out to him because Dr. Hoskins financially helped me with paying for my graduate degree. And because I couldn't earn enough money, you know, to pay all of it, Mm -hmm. and he would supplement it every semester with a little bit. That's incredible. And that was just so wonderful, and I'm... 
and I stayed in touch with him, you know, for um, after I graduated. But Millie and I, the secretary, that uh, just a delightful, delightful lady. Uh, she and I would go to lunch together every day, and many times we would go to Dairy Queen because it was just across the street from campus. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing, of course, was the milkshake. Oh, and they I would are have so a good. Strawberry milkshake <laughs> all the time. And over the two years, Taylor, I gained like 10, 15 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> that I feel like comes with eating American food for sure. Those milkshakes, those burgers, and those fries. I, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, Shirley. But we are gonna take a quick break. I don't mean to interrupt okay. you. Um, we're gonna listen to these ads real quick. But everybody, stay tuned. This is Taylor with Women's Wednesday on America's Web Radio. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual, family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody, we are back on Women's Wednesday with Taylor. I am Taylor, and we have Shirley on with us. So before the break, we were talking about Dairy Queen, of all places, and and that being one of the most surprising things. But uh, were you surprised, Shirley, that all of those French fries and those delicious creamy milkshakes were going to add up eventually and catch up with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was known when I would go back home during the holidays, I had become very pudgy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they call it the freshman 15 for a reason, so I, I think it's okay. <laughs> this was the, the graduate 15. <laughs> well, you know what? It it all happens. It happens to the best of us. And then there are some people that, um, even with working, once you pay your rent and you buy books, my goodness, that, that money that you thought you had so much, like two grand does not go that far when you're a college kid, that's for sure. I remember... 
um, after going to the community college, I transferred over to Western Michigan University over in Kalamazoo, Michigan, over on the west side. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, that I had so much money in the bank, at least I thought. And after I had paid my rent on my new apartment and bought books, which unfortunately I couldn't just go on Chegg and rent these books. Every single class my very first semester required a brand new book. And they safe to say that that two grand was gone with the blink of an eye and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I but for me I was always the type of person that would just never ask my parents for money I always felt horrible and it got to a point where like I started to lose a little bit of weight and my mom was like I'd go home and she's like why are you so skinny are you eating and I'm like um, yes. And then she she's like, you're not eating. You need to make sure that you're contacting me and blah, 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 blah. So it got to the point where every week she would make me text her a picture of what my refrigerator and my cabinets looked like to make sure oh, I had yeah. food. But yes, there were, there were a couple of spots in college where I did have to um, indulge myself. And there was a Chinese spot that we all loved. And that was, Mm -hmm. it was Chinese food. And then this place called Two Fellas. And they had wraps that were probably a thousand calories each. But they were, they were so good. And the mac and cheese bites, I think I still dream about every now and then. So (laughs) (laughs) now when you, when you talk about food and, and all of that, um, do you feel like there are, um, like, do you have any sort of favorite restaurants um, that give you that that taste of being back home in India? Because obviously, the food here in the states is is a little bit different when it comes to just those milkshakes, those hamburgers, and those fries. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when we when I started teaching in Dallas, and on a very very small salary from a public uh, from a private school Mm -hmm. surprisingly I dropped all that weight very fast because you were so busy (laughs) (laughs) when you're only earning $500 a month in 1975 and in from that I had to pay my um, my apartment my car my insurance and all of the other bills. I didn't have much money left. Mm. And my refrigerator, thank goodness my parents never came and looked at my refrigerator, (laughs) was always empty. (laughs) The life of a college kid. You're either eating too much and gaining the weight or not eating at all and losing it. (laughs) There was no in-between. Yes, and you know what? If I missed Indian food, because at that point there were not that many Indian restaurants either in Dallas or here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I didn't want to spend the money, even if there was a restaurant, to go and buy an Indian meal. So I would cook, actually. And then I would cook enough that it would last me two or three days. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I would eat in the school cafeteria when I was teaching. Mm-hmm. Or I would just make myself a sandwich. And I remember eating Spam. (laughs) Spam sandwiches. No. That I have never eaten since then. (laughs) (laughs) I would sure hope not. You probably had enough Spam sandwiches to last you a lifetime. You don't need to eat them again. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) 
Now, when when it comes to just, or I should say, when it came to to getting settled in, I mean, it sounds like this was a pretty smooth process, and and from the start, just coming and and being with family, I feel like it, is what helped you tremendously. But, um. What was most helpful other than the support of your family for you getting settled in? It was definitely the support of family because Mm. I stayed during the two years that I was going to graduate school. I stayed with my uncle and aunt because my education was so expensive. Uh Uh-huh. So that two years flew by so fast because I was so busy and then after I moved out at, after graduation, um, you know, um, I was on my own after that. So, but, but here is the thing that was very enjoyable, and that's how I came to really learn about the United States more thoroughly. And that was my aunt and uncle had not been here long and my uncle who was doing his master's in theology from Perkins School of Theology at SMU Mm -hmm. he got a he became a pastor of a very small church in North Dakota and so I remember that after my graduation my mom had come over here, and so was my sister. And then my uncle and aunt and the three of us went on a camping trip to visit my uncle in North Dakota. So we camped all the way from Dallas through um, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota. Ugh. And Calm was such a small town, and my uncle was a pastor of a Methodist church, and the parsonage was right next door. And we we drove into Calm, and my uncle had told us to immediately turn on to a radio station, and the radio station was welcoming. Pastor Dias's family, who had just come to come North Dakota to visit them. That's amazing. So having all of those experiences, and by the way, that was my first and last camping trip. <laughs> I, I was going to say the time day. of year to North Dakota. That's going to be a big factor. <laughs> yes, but it was. This was in the summer. Okay, good. So, so you were you safe. Know, <laughs> so it was fine. We were all safe, uh, but you know, uh, living in tents and with rain pelting down on you in Kansas and then going to um, the community restroom was not a pleasant experience. I have only been camping, unfortunately, three or four times, and I'm not against it. I enjoy it, but, I mean, for days and days and days on end, and it's not just a fun trip, like, that that sounds kind of (laughs) miserable. (laughs) But, Taylor, the other thing that I want to say to you is the fact that one of the advantages I had was, first of all, having family here. Mm -hmm. Secondly, being educated in a 
convent school, convent, a Catholic school in India. So language was not a barrier. Mm-hmm. And, and I think those two factors are important for immigrants who come. Because if you know the language, I think the transition is much easier. Oh, now, I, I have to say I that agree. I had a very heavy English accent, which I have kind of toned down quite a bit. I can still though, hear it. <laughs> yes, even though it's still there. But uh, that was, um, I had to, and especially working with children, you had I had to really learn how to say things in American English. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very different when you say English versus American English because that just goes back to you know learning languages in school. And I had taken Spanish for four years. Granted, I I can understand it if it's spoken slow enough, but to speak it and have everything conjugate correctly and be grammatically correct. I would have a 0% on that. <laughs> but I feel like when I would try to talk to some of my friends, because in when I was in elementary school, I went to a very culturally diverse elementary. Um, I, one of my friends, her mom was Chilean. And so she would constantly talk to um, her daughter. And so my colors like a lo- and numbers, a lot of just basic nouns I knew very well, but going into school and and really learning it um, made it kind of difficult. And why they don't start teaching language before high school, I I will never understand because kids' brains are like sponges. It's just so much easier to learn something at a young age. Um, But we were always taught from what a lot of my friends had said, just a very formal way of of speaking Spanish. And it was almost the traditional English, um, if that makes sense. So, um, And that, see, that's the other difference. So coming from a convent school run by Irish nuns, and this is still true, you know, in the Indian system of education, which is that you, it is more memorization mm-hmm. in India than it is here. And so you had to pass the end of the school year exam to be promoted to the next grade level. Okay. And that puts a lot of pressure. I can only imagine. (laughs) Yes, yes. So that that was um, a difference Mm -hmm. in, you know, moving from one grade to the next. There is no no such thing as social promotion. Which is good. I That's how it should be because, I mean, I feel like a lot of kids get passed on to the next grade when they, they may not be ready. Um, and you you had touched on learning the language, and it uh, it reminded me of, of something which I will come back to after we take a short break. Uh, ladies and gents, this is Taylor on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org in 2009 the membership organization docs for patient care was founded people all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group and they wanted to join but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians it's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs. For patient care foundation.org. That's www.docs, the number four, patient care foundation.org, and make a tax deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. All right, we are back uh, with Women's Wednesday. Now, um, Shirley, I, I was just about to touch on um, just a, a quick little tidbit when it comes to, to learning the language. Um, one of my good friends, uh, his grandpa was, um, it was um, in Germany and had met um, his, his wife, and she had come back to the States with him after the war. Um, now, we refer to them as Oma and Opa, um, which is uh, grandma and grandpa in German. And his Oma actually learned English watching the Saturday morning cartoons, which mm. I thought was, was very interesting because that's something that kids go through and they see a representation of whatever the word is and then they get to hear the word. So yeah. um, I thought that was pretty interesting. and. I mean, the fact that you had already been so well-versed in the English language, I feel like was a, a massive advantage for you. So um, I, I was also... It was. Yeah, and, and I know we've, we've talked about so many different things, so I want to get back to, back to this, this immigration piece. Now, um, can you recall a, a time that you may have not felt very welcome? I know that's a kind of a touchy subject, but I'm curious if there's um, any times in particular that you can recall. 
Oh, yes. There are several instances. Because I am brown-skinned, and being in Dallas, and even here, I have been identified many times as Mexican, as Filipino, um, till I open my mouth. Hmm. And then people realize, you know, that their assessment of me may not be true. And so we all have the tendency to look at people and make assumptions. And I think that it is important for us as human beings to first get to know people Mm -hmm. before making assumptions. And that has been a common occurrence even if I walk into a store, Taylor, and people see that I'm brown-skinned, they assume certain things till, you know, I say, may I ask you for some assistance with this and that? Mm-hmm. And then the whole demeanor changes. And I'm not sure if it is that people just make assumptions and don't want to act on those assumptions or, you know, they, they make an assumption and they, they may be fearful. I don't know what it is, but that's what has been my experience in, you know, as an immigrant coming into this country. Mm-hmm. Now, do you feel like you were at um, almost like a a double disadvantage being a woman as well? Not really. I never felt that. Okay, that's good. it It was interesting because, you know, I had enough confidence in myself to overcome any objections or any assumptions once I started talking with people. However, you know, and this happens with all of us, that as you get older, you get more comfortable in your skin. Mm -hmm. And what other people might perceive or assume about you really has no bearing on you as you see yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, you had mentioned um, just times of, like, gr- going to a grocery store and something as simple as that, experiencing something that could be fairly negative. Now, did you have any experiences in, in your teaching careers with either students or, or their parents or even faculty? I really, um, not in Dallas, I didn't, because after I taught in that, private school, and it was called St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. It was a private school, and it was run by the order of Jesus and Mary, the same order that my convent of Jesus and Mary in India was run by. And I was teaching in that school, but most of the students there came from affluent African-American backgrounds. Okay. So it was, you know, For me, there was no difference there. And then 
when I went into the Dallas public school system, usually the newer teachers were placed in areas where other teachers didn't want to go. So I was in a very poor, poor area of Dallas in the public school system. Mm -hmm. And it was, the area was called Oak Cliff. And the kids there, most of, majority of the kids were from free and reduced lunch. And I remember that my goal during the the four years that I was there was to just teach my heart out to those kids. Absolutely. And, you know, I there were parents who would never come to parent-teacher conferences. And I remember very clearly one year our superintendent, Dr. Linus Wright, had said that if teachers can complete all their parent-teacher conferences, before the Wednesday of Thanksgiving, they can get Wednesday off. Ooh, okay, and a little I competition. Remember, that was a great incentive for all of us teachers in the in the public school system. Mm-hmm. And we always tried to get, you know, our con- uh, con- parent-teacher conferences done. And I remember going to the homes of my students and looking at the poor conditions in which they lived and there were times when I would go in and I didn't even know where to sit. Mm. It was that sad. And then the total opposite of that happened when I came and my husband got transferred to Atlanta and I got a job in Gwinnett and I was teaching third grade in a brand new elementary school. And I remember a mom coming into the classroom, and she looked at me. She knew this was my first year in Gwinnett, and she must have been concerned as to whether I was qualified enough to teach her child. And so she started asking me a lot of questions, and as I talked to her, told her about my background, my educational background, I could see her demeanor totally relaxing. Mm-hmm. And she became one of my strongest supporters and supported me throughout with all of the things I would do in my classroom. She became very active. She would bring treats for the, for the students and uh, was always there to help you know, when I was doing small groups. So it is important for for all of us immigrants and even those of us like you who have been transplanted from other parts, you know, of the country. Mm-hmm. We all have to do some learning and acceptance of each other. Yes, and especially when it comes to just the people that you're around. I mean, you, it's such a cliche, but you can't judge a book by its cover. You have no idea what this person's been through. Um, you know, in, in your circumstance, how, how very well educated they are. And, and I mean, there, there's, just so many differences but there's also a lot of similarities and so much common ground here too so 
Um, Absolutely. Let me let me ask you this: if, if you knew of somebody that was planning to to migrate to the U.S., um, what advice would you give them, or what would you tell them to expect? My main advice would be to do it legally. <laughs> yes. That is, to me, that is important because I did it legally. My husband did it legally. And certainly we want others to do it legally. I know that the process has become, not that it was any easier when I applied, but the process has become much more cumbersome now. Mm-hmm. Uh, But certainly, you know, this country is built on immigrants. Yeah. If you think back to Ellis Island and how many immigrants came from Eastern Europe, you know, through Ellis Island, all of us immigrants are trying to provide a better life for ourselves. And America has always, the USA has always been welcoming of immigrants. So first of all, to do it legally. And secondly, I see this happening quite a bit in other immigrant populations as well, not only Indians. Just like if you think about New York and you saw a little little Italy being established or little Ireland mm-hmm. or little Chinatown, it's happening now. So having some sort of a support system to get you through the transition phase, and especially if you don't speak the language. You know, that is very, very helpful. So that's the advice that I'd like to share with anybody, you know, who's trying to um, come to this country. That's phenomenal. And I I really do appreciate you sharing your story and, and shedding some light on on this topic because like you said i mean this country is built on people that are that are immigrants coming coming to the states so um thank you so much again shirley i really do appreciate it and um unfortunately that is all for today folks uh this is taylor on america's web radio with women's wednesday we'll chat soon You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.